Tonight we're going to continue through our series in the book of James. The book of James, and this evening we're going to close out um, James chapter 4. Well, no, we won't close it out, but we'll get close. (laughs) Before we get started, let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for another opportunity to worship you together as your body, the local expression of your body here at Cottondale Baptist Church. Lord, we don't take this privilege that we have lightly to freely gather together to sing your praise, to hear your word, and to just fellowship as those who together have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray this evening you would help us continue to learn from your servant, James, God, more concerning um, how to use our mouths or to honor and glorify you. Speak to us, change us, help us, Lord, to walk in greater love and faith and obedience to you. We pray that you'd be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to James chapter 4. And... So far, James has talked about a lot of things. You can tell that he's a very practical. He has a great concern that followers of Christ uh, do not just claim to be religious, do not just hear the word, do not just claim to have faith, but that they also live it out. For James, his great concern uh, is that Religion or faith is not just something that you can merely claim to possess, but it must be validated, vindicated by your works, by lives of faith, increasing faith, love, and obedience. And uh, that's going to bring us to uh, James chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 11 this evening, where he's going to talk about not speaking evil against uh, another. Um, So a little bit confusing passage this evening, so we're going to walk through it um, tonight. So I invite you, if you're able and willing, uh, to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word as we read from James chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The word of God may be seated. So what I want to do tonight is just just kind of walk straight through this passage and answer uh, uh, in in, in this way, three things. Number one is this question, how do we speak evil against others? So what is James actually prohibiting when he tells us to not speak evil against another? First, I want to answer that question. And then secondly, 
After that, James explains why we are not to speak evil against others. And that is that we are not the judge. And then thirdly, why else are we not to speak evil against others? And the answer is because God is the judge. We don't speak evil against others because we're not the judge, but God is. But first we want to answer this question. How do we speak evil against others? But first what I want to do before I even get to that is I want to locate this passage within its context. So in James chapter 3, as we've already discussed, James has this long uh, section uh, concerning the tongue, right? And, and how we're to, to, to use it. It has great destructive power, right? And so there's this long section on the tongue. And then at the end of chapter 3, he, he, he slides into this discussion on heavenly wisdom, and as we talked about there, James' understanding of heavenly wisdom is, is primarily, surprise, surprise, practical, right? That a person who is wise, biblically, is a humble person. And the, the end, the goal, if you will, of heavenly wisdom is peace. That is, a person who is heavenly wise will be a bearer of God's peace within their relationships. And it will follow them around as opposed to a proud fool who brings drama and discord everywhere that they go. And this naturally leads into what we discussed last week where, where James talks about, he, he answered the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And we said that it was, his, it was the desires that are at war within us. And at the end of that section, just prior to our text this evening, he, he, he gives us a strong call to Repentance, and it re- that really forms the essence of the book of James. In other words, he's saying to, to uh, the readers here uh, that whatever, whatever of his rebukes landed the hardest on you, whether you're double-minded concerning God, whether, you're, um, uh, whether you, you hear the word, but you don't do it, whether you claim to have faith, but you don't show it by your works, whether you can't control your tongue or you lack heavenly wisdom and you cause quarrels and fights wherever, wherever you go. The, the solution to all these problems is exactly the same. And that's the heart of James's letter. He's saying everything that I'm exhorting you to do, the solution is this, repent and humble yourself before God. Come back, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. In other words, it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to be double-minded. I don't have, I don't have to be uh, uh, a fool. I don't have to just hear and not do. I don't have to say I have faith but not back it up by my works. I can repent and come back to God. And if I do, James says, God will give me grace. More and more grace. And so that really forms the heart of the letter but then James here goes, uh, it picks up again another exhortation about speaking evil against one another. And, and, and it relates to this, to this section that we just discussed. Because, of course, when there's quarrels and fights among people, it almost always starts right here. It just comes right out. And that's how quarrels and fights get started. And, it, of course, and the link is quite clear, right? Because... James says the reason why fights and quarrels happen is our passions at war within us. So, but how do our inner passions uh, take vent in our relationship with others? 
our mouths. So really, the, the, fights, the fights and quarrels, the root problem is our hearts and passions, but our hearts and our, 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 our sinful passions are revealed to others in whom we're in relationship with through our mouths. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, and so again, he's picking up this topic of our mouths or the tongue. And so, again, it's worth reminding ourselves that God really does care a lot about what we say. He really does. It's all over the book of James. Words really do matter. And it's just important to remind ourselves of that regularly. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. That's scary, folks. That's scary. Can you imagine standing before God, and like a tape recorder, he plays back to you everything you ever said? That's scary. So we should listen to James when he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And particularly here, James tells us, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. <coughs> and so the question we have to ask is, what does that mean? How do we speak evil against others? Well, I'm, I'm just going to describe three different ways here that this word is kind of used uh, in the Bible and in the, in the Greek Old Testament. How do we speak sinfully against others? Number one, the word, first of all, is literally speak against. Speak against. When you speak against others. And one of the first ways we can do this is number one here is questioning legitimate authority. Questioning legitimate authority. In Numbers 21, verses 4 and 5, it says, From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. You see, an important theme in the Bible, and something that, take, that God takes very seriously, is respecting proper authority. Even if you don't like it. Here, the people of Israel were grumbling, speaking, it says literally speaking against God. And not just against God, but against Moses. That God has literally just saved them from slavery in Egypt and they're already complaining. And they don't just speak against God, but they speak against Moses. But of course, to speak against Moses is to speak against God. Because God is the one who set Moses over them. He is the one who set Moses in leadership over them. What this means for us is that we have a duty to honor proper authorities with our words, even if we don't like them or disagree with them. That doesn't mean that leaders are above critique, but it does mean that even if we do critique a leader, there must be a respect, a respectfulness, a civility in the way we, we honor the place of authority, regardless of how much we like or dislike the one who is in it. And I would add to that, that according to Jesus, we will be accountable for that. 
Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Be subject to the Lord for the Lord's sake. Hear that? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. By the way, if you've read 1 Peter, you know what 1 Peter's about? Suffering. Peter, according to tradition, was crucified upside down. By who? The government. And what does Peter say? Honor the emperor. If you don't like, if, if you don't like a constitutional democratic republic, let me tell you, you won't like a Roman Empire. But Peter said, honor the emperor. Honor the position. Not worship the emperor. No, no. Not worship him, but honor him. Paul has, there's an interesting illustration here in the life of Paul, and I think it's definitely worth looking at in Acts chapter 23. If you remember this story. It says, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers. So remember, this is, this is when Paul was on trial. Remember, he went to, uh, Agabus had the prophecy, don't go to Jerusalem, because if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested. And, James, and Paul says, I, I have to go to testify to the gospel. And he goes to Jerusalem and gets arrested and ends up getting handed over to the, to the, to the Roman authorities and gets put on trial. And this is what Paul says. And then the, the Jews go up to accuse him, to accuse him before the Roman governor. And this is what Paul says during the trial. He says, and looking intently at the council, Paul says, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Look at that. That's astounding, isn't it? The man told the soldier to punch him in the mouth. And Paul rebuked him. But when he was corrected that it was the high priest, what did Paul do? He backed down. Why? Because he feared God. And even though the man really did something wrong, he was the high priest. And Paul respected the office. He respected the office. And so Paul, in submission to God's word, changed his tune. Why? Because to respect proper authority established by God is to respect God. And this is true in every arena. We talked about it before, but it's important to remember. Did you know that to be a rebellious child in Israel was a, was a capital crime? You could be stoned to death for disrespecting your parents. Why? Why? Because God's commandment was honor your father and mother. To dishonor God's established authority is to dishonor God. And so we've got to be careful here, especially in this day, and we've talked about it before, but it's just so important. 
the, the culture we live in, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's out of control here. And, um, and it's just, it's so tempting to just be swept up into the language and the vitriol that is taking place in the, in the world and on social media and things like that. But I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm telling you, we will give an account for what we said and how we said it. And that, that, that goes for our social media posts too. And it's a small thing to be judged by the world, but it's not a small thing to be judged by God. And frankly, if this world goes to hell in a handbasket, that just may be its destined end. But guess what? We will stand before God one day. And so it's better, it's better to honor God with our words, even if that means we lose the argument out there. Because let me tell you something, God in the end is not going to lose. And you want to be on his side in the end. But if we give in to the, to the rhetoric and the anger and the filth of the culture, we lose. We lose. But note here, too, I've been talking about in general and in the culture. But really what James is doing here is he's speaking to the church. In the church. So... He's saying honor appropriate authority within the church, so within the offices of the church. And that, that's a pretty clear uh, teaching of the Bible as well. And I know that no one in this room would ever say an off-color word about your pastor. I, just, I know that would never happen. It happens in the other churches, but it would never happen here. But it is a problem, and it does happen. And so that's why the scripture says things like this, 1 Thessalonians 5. We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, James says. Hebrews 13, or, or Paul says, Hebrews 13, 7. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So what we see here is that God has established proper authority in the home, in the church, in the world. And it's a good thing. Authority, proper authority is a good thing. And proper authority exercised rightly and righteously is a great thing. But even when it's not, we are to respect authority in our manner and in our tone. So first... We can speak against uh, others by not respecting proper authority. Number two here, we can speak against others by slandering in secret. By slandering in secret. Psalm 101.5, whoever slanders his, brother's, his, brother's, his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. Uh, just briefly here, you know, when we speak in such a way in private about others, as Christians tend to do, um, primarily in the form of prayer requests. Oh, dear sister, you need to be praying for so-and-so. You won't believe what I just heard. (laughs) Strangely and ironically, whenever such prayer requests are shared in private with the other person not present, almost never does prayer actually take place. Just the exchange of information. Or sometimes we like to use this word instead. 
I just need a vent. Just need a vent. As if somehow vent makes slander okay. You see, what can happen in private is we say things that we'll never say to their face, and we can really give the worst possible impression of someone else. And if that's true, James is talking to us. Do not speak against our brothers. And finally, the final way we can speak against others is this. Bringing false accusations against others or, or giving intentional mischaracterizations of others. In 1 Peter 2.12, Peter again says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 1 Peter 3.16, he says, Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, same word, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And so, what, what, what Peter's saying here is that um, when we are Christians, Peter understood that what would happen as we lived the Christian life is that people would speak against Christians as evildoers. Which is, of course, is ironic because Christians are preeminently supposed to be good doers, not evil doers. Now, of course, in Peter's mind, if a Christian actually does something evil, then they deserve such condemnation. But what Paul is talking about here is that what will actually happen is that as Christians strive to live godly lives in Christ Jesus, what will happen is that the unbelieving world will actually and eventually view that not just as, uh, not just as our preference, but will view the actual... Good doing as evil. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 3 and following. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You know, we see this happening. Uh, we see this happening today. Um, it's, that is precisely because Christians will not join in embracing sin. Uh, that they will be accused of as, uh, as evil. You see, it's not enough when you disagree with someone. Many times it's... It, you can't just agree to disagree. If, if you don't celebrate what they celebrate, it's wrong. It's evil. So if you're a Christian baker and you, don't, and you will bake anyone a cake for any other purpose except when the purpose would be to celebrate something that you believe is wrong, it's not just, it's not just you holding to your convictions, it, that act in and of itself is evil for you discriminating against someone else. Or when you say uh, that all life is life, including unborn life, and we should protect the life of the unborn, it's not just you, you know, exercising your conviction, that you are evil because you are denying a woman her health care. And so we see here that it's just, it's not... That as Christians, there will be times, and it's here, when we will be maligned for doing 
good. Isaiah spoke of a day when good would be called evil and evil would be called good. But of course it's, and we all know in our day the power of a false and wicked accusation. We live in a day, I think a dangerous day, when the very undergirding principle of our judicial system is evaporating before our very eyes, and that is the presumption of innocence. Today, whether we like it or not, even though the law says it in reality, it's not true. It is not innocent until proven guilty. It's guilty until proven innocent. That's a dangerous way to live. It's going to be destructive for our nations. Why? Because a a mere accusation will destroy people. In fact, we've already seen examples of that. It's a dangerous world to live in. And guess what? The accusation will be on the front page of the news and the exoneration will be on page 53. In tiny little print. It's a dangerous world we live in. But of course, by the way, James is not just addressing the world, he's addressing the church. This can happen within the church. We can speak against one another by bringing false or slanderous accusations. Spreading gossip, for example, when we don't really know the facts. Another thing that's very common in all of our relationships and happens within the church is that oftentimes we assume we know people's motives. And when someone does something we don't like, we, we, or that hurts our feelings, what we do is we just brood on it and we convince ourselves that it was a personal attack against us. It happens all the time. We convince ourselves that that is true when really that person might not even be thinking about it. They might not even know that hurt your feelings. It happens all the time. And what happens is it makes it easier on us and it helps us to justify it when we speak evil about them to others when we have convinced ourselves that they're the evil ones. You see, when you're convinced that someone else has the worst possible motives, you feel better about yourself when you speak evil about them. James says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Why is this? Why is this? James says this way. He says, we're not to speak evil against others, number two, because we are not the judge. Because we are not the judge. He says, the one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now, we have to admit, that's a little confusing because, you know, what's the correlation there? How is speaking evil or judging a brother analogous or the same thing as speaking evil against the law and judging the law? Well, so, so we kind of have to think about it a little bit. First of all, we need to ask, what's the law that he's talking about? Well, as we've talked about before, it's most likely the law is fulfilled in Christ. That is, um, the law is understood as fulfilled in Christ and, and uh, therefore... It's the, it's the commands that we are bound to as New Covenant Christians, not as, as, old, not, as, not as the Old Covenant Jews would have been bound by. But more specifically, to understand this, I think we need to kind of understand what specific part of the law that James has in mind. And I think there's good reason to believe, to help us understand what he's arguing here, I think there's good reason to believe that what James has a particular aspect of the law in mind And that is the law that's given in Leviticus chapter 19. And here's here's why we we have good reason to think this. In Leviticus chapter 19 verse 16, it says this. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. 
and you shall not stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. In other words, it's the same thing that, that James is talking about here, right? That he's, he's bringing into this new covenant context. But, not just that, but we're, it, the argument strengthened that he has Leviticus 19 in mind. Because at the end of verse 12 there in James 4, it says, Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, when you hear the word neighbor, immediately your mind jumps to uh, the command that Jesus said was the heart and essence of the law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know where that is in the Old Testament? Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you see, in Leviticus nineteen sixteen, it talks about not slandering your people. And then two verses down, it talks about love your neighbor as yourself. And then right here in this same passage in James, he talks about not speaking evil against each other and about how, about how we should not judge our neighbor. So almost certainly, as James is writing this to us, he has the, the law in Leviticus 19 in mind. Okay? So what's his argument then? It seems to be this, that... When he says, the one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law or judges the law, I think what he's saying is this. When you speak evil against the brother, when you speak against the brother, you are breaking the law of love. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. When you're speaking evil against someone else, you are not, you're breaking the law. You are not loving your neighbor as yourself. And and. What does that mean then that you're a judge of the law? Well, it means this. When you break any of God's commands, right? It doesn't matter, but just any command. Anytime you break one of God's commands, what, what are you saying? You are saying with your actions that God was wrong and I know better. Anytime you do it, anytime you break any command, you are implicitly saying with your actions that God was wrong about that, but I'm right. What are you doing? You're judging the law. You're setting yourself up over the law rather than being under the law and submissive to it. You're setting yourself up over the law, and by breaking the law, you're saying that law is bad, and God doesn't know what he's talking about. You become a judge of the law, and you speak evil against the law. So in James's mind, to break the law of love by speaking evil against the brother is, to, is the same exact thing as speaking evil against in judging the law itself given by God himself. Because you are breaking it and you're, in essence, despising it. And so, this is confirmed when he says at the end of the verse there, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. In other words, if you stand over the law in judgment by your disobedience... You're, and, and you, you're, you're sitting in judgment over it, saying that it's not good, then you're not doing it. So, in other words, he's contrasting being a judge of the law versus doing it. And so, in other words, you can only either do one or the other. You either are doing the law and obeying what God has commanded, or you're setting yourself up as a judge over and against the law. And so, we just, we just, we just need to think here and be careful as a church, in our, in our own personal lives, and just generally. We, you got to be very careful when it comes to God and His Word and His commands. 
Because it's not uncommon in this day to hear things like this. Yeah, I know the Bible says that, but it's dangerous, folks. It's dangerous. In other words, I know what God had says, but what are you doing? You're setting yourself up, James says, as a judge over the law and really ultimately over God himself. And it's, it's, it's not, and, you know, we, it's not just a problem that we think, oh, well, that's out there. But I'm telling you, in situations, it'll happen. It happens to you. It happens to me. It will happen if it hasn't happened already. We'll find ourselves in difficult life situations where we will face a strong temptation to justify doing what we know is wrong. Someone will hurt you, someone will wound you, something will happen to someone you love or something. or just There's a whole plethora of things that can happen and it will be so tempting to justify our sin and say, yeah, I know it says that, but my situation is different. My situation is unique. I think God would understand. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. We cannot be judge over God's law, but we should be doers of God's law and trust that if we do what is right, he'll work it out, whatever the situation is. And really, so if you think about it, in this passage, James is really saying the same thing that he said everywhere else. We can't just hear it. We got to do it. We can't just say we believe it. We got to Act it out. We have to live out our faith by our good works. We, got, we, can't just, we can't sit in judgment over the law, but we have to do it. So we're not to speak evil because we're not the judge. And finally here, number three, we're not to speak evil because God is the judge. Verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So James completes his argument by saying that we're not in a position to judge the law or judge our neighbor. But there, because there is only one who has the prerogative to do that. And that is God himself. And in the end, it is God's judgment that will stand. The Bible says in many places all over the Bible that he will ju- God will judge with justice and with equity and righteousness forevermore. Man, that's good news. Think about all the things taking place in our world today. Think about all the evil that goes unpunished. Think about all the situations that happen in our individual lives and in personal relationships, much less things that happen uh, concerning the government and things. Situations in which it will... It will almost no one actually knows the full truth about what's going on. And we wonder, how can we, how can we possibly adjudicate and make right judgments and decisions with all these almost infinite number of interlocking and intertwining variables and motives going, taking place? We can't. We're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. We don't have access to all the information. But let me tell you something. God does. God sees and God knows. What does that mean? It means I don't have to worry about it. I don't, I don't have to sit here and let my heart fill with bitterness and rage against a wrong done to me or, a wrong, or, or, or some kind of wrong I see going on in the world. I don't have to let that happen because I know God's going to deal with it. 
God sees, God knows, God sees, God sees exactly not just what is taking place, but the thoughts and intentions of the hearts of those doing it. And when all is like, Jesus said there will be a day when what was spoken in secret will be proclaimed on the housetops. And justice will be meted out perfectly, righteously, with our incredibly limited capacities to know and understand and discern the truth and especially the hearts of others, we should be very slow to speak evil against others because of that. And, it's, again, it's so important today because social media has literally brought out the worst in people. My goodness. I could go on Twitter right now and type in, at real Donald Trump. And literally make a statement directly to the President of the United States. Sitting on the couch in gym shorts. It's not healthy. And people say things that they would never say. And let me tell you something. One day they're going to regret saying them. You see, social media enables us to feel the gusto to say things that we would never, we would top it, we'll top it on a computer, but we'd never say it with our mouths. It's not healthy. We can be quick to judge and condemn and again assign others the worst possible motives. But James says there is one lawgiver and one judge who alone can save and, and destroy. In other words, what we need to be most concerned about is where we're going to stand with him on the last day. And so we definitely need to hear this. We definitely need to hear this, and this needs to be heard loud and clear. At the same time, though, while I'm talking about this, I might as well talk about the opposite problem as well. And that is the strange hypocrisy that we experience in this world, and that, frankly, we all feel to, a, to some degree. And that is that we all feel quite self-righteous when we're denouncing the evil we see in others. But my goodness, someone talk about me? Who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me? Probably, I think, one of the most abused verses in the entire Bible is Matthew 7, verse 1 and following. Judge not that you be not judged. Judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see that speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, really in this passage, James is really just saying the same thing Jesus has already said. In other words, what Jesus and James are prohibiting is a self-righteous kind of judgment, a hypocritical kind of judgment where you're condemning someone for something that you yourself do. What it is, is what Jesus condemned all the time. You're straining out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. It is, it is, it's using binoculars to look into someone else's window, but refusing to look in the mirror. And yet, we must be careful to remember that the Bible does not forbid every kind of judgment. In fact, hear me now, in the church, key, word, key phrase, in the church, evaluations of others' Character are actually commanded. 
And this is really, this is, this is really unpopular today, but it's true. You can't judge me. You can't judge me. Well, I can, actually, in the church. Um, I didn't write the reference down here. 1 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 5, verse 9. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of the brother if he is guilty of sexually immoral, or sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So strangely, in, strangely, I think sometimes we get it backwards. I think we can be so quick to judge people outside expecting non-believers to act like Christians. Well, let me tell you something. They can't. It's impossible. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They look at the world totally different than we do. So it should not surprise us when a non-believer doesn't act like a Christian. But at the same time, Paul says, and he tells the church in Corinth, he says, but here's the key, and here's the, here's the heart of it. If you call yourself a brother, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you are a member of a church, then Paul says, not just that you can, but that we should evaluate the fruit of those who claim Christ. And if, we, and if they don't, if they explicitly, unrepentantly embrace sin in their lives, Paul says we should remove them from the church. Why? Why is that? It may, I mean, if you think about it, it, just, it actually it's the only thing that makes sense. Because why? Because we as the church have the responsibility to uphold the testimony and the holiness of Jesus Christ. Right? Think about the one thing that does more harm to Christianity than anything else. A person who professes to be a Christian but doesn't live it. If I had a nickel for every time I heard someone say that Christians are just hypocrites... I would be a millionaire. And, in, and Paul tells the church what? He, he, he concedes the point. That's right. If Christ makes no difference in our lives, then we have no testimony. And if we as a church tolerate within our midst those who proclaim Christ but openly reject it with our lives, what are we doing? We ourselves are profaning the testimony of Christ. Because think about it. Come on. Think about it. Think about to a lost person. If you don't know Jesus and you know that so-and-so is a member of that church and you know how they live and the church does nothing about it, what does that tell you as a non-believer? It tells you that that's how Christians think. Or it tells you that, every, that all those Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites because, look, they're doing nothing about it. And Paul couldn't allow that to happen. 
And so we can't get it backwards. We can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians and then at the same time expect uh, be okay with Christians acting like non-Christians. It doesn't work. So what do we learn from James this evening? We learn this. If we desire, if we in our hearts desire to truly please Christ, how do we do it? We have to obey Christ and obey the law of love and to not speak speak evil against a brother that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we can ever critique it doesn't mean we can never examine the fruit of someone's life especially someone who proclaims to be a christian but what it does mean is this it means that as as christians and as followers of jesus christ the sin that we're always most concerned about is our own and when that happens guess what jesus didn't say don't take the speck out of your brother brother's eye he's just said deal with your own log first And then when we're aware of our own sin, what does it allow us to do? It then allows us to deal. Yes, deal. We must deal with the sins of others, especially with those within the church. But it allows us to deal with it humbly, patiently, kindly, gently. And yes, if necessary, strictly, if there is no repentance. But it's the heart that's the, and it's it's the heart that James is attacking that we must have a right and pure and a humble heart, being aware of our, being deeply aware of our own sin and our own shortcomings, rather than being a self-righteous judge of others. We do this in the fear of God, knowing that God will hold us to the same standard to which we hold others. And so what James is saying is, is what he's been saying all along. Be wise, be holy, be godly, be humble. Be not just a hearer, but a doer also. And if we do that, God will bless it. God will honor it. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances, he will honor obedience. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth.